This morning we continue to look at the Gospel of John to see the whole story from Christmas to Easter to Resurrection Sunday. And of course, we are just one week away from Resurrection Sunday. This morning we took a look at John chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter into the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They said to him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to, over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you lead us and direct us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us as we look at your word today. That we would hear the living word and see the living Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Things will be a little bit different in the message this morning. It's not going to necessarily be a point-by-point -point driven uh, sermon like we're kind of used to, but we're just going to try to walk through some of the content of this chapter. And in fact, this chapter is one of the great didn't-see-it-coming moments in all of Scripture. Scripture is full of didn't-see-it-coming moments. Uh, there are moments like when the Israelites are fleeing Egypt and they think that they've escaped and then all of a sudden they come up against the Red Sea and they are stuck with the Red Sea and then there's this cloud of the chariots and the army of Pharaoh that's coming after them and here they are, they are stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army and they are sure that they're all going to perish one way or the other but what they didn't see coming is that God was going to part that Red Sea and they were going to walk across on dry land. They didn't necessarily see coming uh, the fact that Elijah was going to challenge all of the prophets of Baal to a competition to see who could send fire, whose God was the live, living God that would send power in that moment. And after the, the prophets of Baal had spent hour after hour proving that it was really a silly idea that God would be able to send fire on command, Elijah waters down his sacrifice. He waters down his altar and he prays a simple prayer and in a moment fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and consumes the altar and consumes all of the water that had pooled up uh, around it. They didn't see that coming. And they didn't see it coming when Daniel was condemned to the lion's den because he had prayed faithfully to his God and some people who were opposed to Daniel had passed a law that said anyone who prays to anyone other than the king well then they should be executed and they should be thrown into the lion's den into this this holding area for lions that were, were, were starving and waiting for any fresh meat that they could get what they didn't expect is when the sun came up that Daniel walked out of that lion untouched. That they didn't expect that when Jesus, who was just a preaching, teaching prophet, 
with very little history at all, that when he's invited to a wedding, and at the end of that wedding, there is this great social faux pas that they have run out of wine. What they didn't see coming, what they didn't expect, is that Jesus would walk over to these giant stone pitchers of water and to turn them into wine. This passage that we look at this morning is, is so far in the story, maybe the greatest they didn't see it coming moment uh, of all of scripture. Now, now next week, you, you'll need to come back to hear the number one, they didn't see it coming moment uh, of all of scripture. But, but in this moment, they, they, didn't see, they didn't see John chapter 18 coming. Now the difference between this moment and the other moments is that in all of those other moments that we were looking at, there was a bad situation that God showed up and turned into good. There was a dangerous situation. There was a, a harmful situation. There was a desperate situation. And, and folks said, we're not going to make it. We're going to die. And God intervened and brought life and rescue into that place. It was bad news that turned good news. In this moment, in this didn't see it coming moment, it's actually the exact opposite that happens. You see, the disciples are walking with Jesus. And they are learning over time who Jesus is. And, and over time, they, they are learning that Jesus is powerful, that Jesus brings authority. Jesus has immense popularity. And finally, they are beginning to understand not just his power, not just his authority, not just his popularity, but they're beginning to understand his eternality, that, that he existed before the beginning of time. And it's just starting to come into their head that they understand it. And they are even coming to the place that they understand that this is God himself in the flesh. How great is that? How cool is that that the person that they have lunch with, that they hang out with, that they are walking day by day with, that they are navigating life with, that is the person of authority and power and eternality and, and, and all of these things. And they get to hang out with Jesus. That's great. And then we come to John chapter 18, where Jesus is betrayed. He is arrested, he is tried, and by the end of this chapter, he is condemned to death. That's not what they expected. In this case, it was the good news. Here is Jesus, and he's powerful, and he has authority, and he's popular, and he's God himself. This is great. And then in a matter of hours, there's Jesus, I'm sure in some way restrained, on trial, and people conspiring against him. They did not see that coming. I think in preparing for the message this week, what really stood out to me this week is the verses that we read just a few moments ago. The Jewish leaders have, have taken Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. And the Roman governor says, listen, I don't really care. It's like when your kids are squabbling in the back seat. 
I don't care. Just stop the squabbling. Whatever it takes, stop squabbling. I, I don't really want to untie this knot to try to figure out who did what. Pilate's like, listen, you all are squabbling. I don't care. You take Jesus. You try him according to whatever your rules are. It's, this is your problem. You solve it. And he hands Jesus back to the religious leaders. But the religious leaders say something in this moment that just hit me in the face this week. What they said in verse 31 is, we would if we could, but we're not allowed to put anybody to death. And so Pilate, we need you to act on this because it is our desire, it is our plan to kill Jesus. I can't believe they said that out loud. I can't believe that they would come to this moment, to this place where they say out loud, here's the plan, here's what we want to do. We want to kill Jesus. They said it out loud. Other people could hear them. They literally put it on the court record. We want to kill Jesus. I think sometimes because we kind of know the, 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 the landmarks of the story, we were like, yeah, this is what happens. But, but there's a moment where they stood before Pilate and opened up their mouth and said, we want to kill Jesus. Now the thing about it is, is this isn't the first time this conversation has happened. In the Gospel of John, this is the fifth different time that there is conversation about killing Jesus. And in fact, the other Gospels have several other events where the same conversation comes that John doesn't cover. But in the Gospel of John, this is the fifth time that they've said, let's kill Jesus. Back in John chapter 5, Jesus heals the lame man by the pool of Bethesda. You remember that? And because Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day, on the wrong day of the week, they say, we're going to have to kill Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having a spirited conversation with some of the religious leaders and they're arguing about the authority of Abraham and the authority of Moses and Jesus says before Abraham was I am it was a huge statement of his eternality of his authority of his being greater than Abraham and they said we're gonna have to kill him in John chapter 10 Jesus says, the Father and I are one. They said, oh, we're going to have to kill him. And then in John chapter 11, <laughs> Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And it was public. And this was no small corner. This was a person that everybody knew. This was a funeral that, that, that people from multiple towns had attended. People had even cleaned up after the funeral. They had even talked about the fact that the death things had already happened. In fact, they, 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 when Jesus says, open up the tomb, they say, we can't. He, he, he stinketh. We, we, we can't do that. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And everybody saw it. And if you missed it, you could go down to Bethany and have lunch with Lazarus. 
the guy who used to be dead. And after that they said, oh, we're going to have to kill him. But this is different because in this moment, in this place, they have their motive, they have their means, and they have the premeditation to do it. And so when Jesus has been betrayed and he's been arrested and they deliver him to, to Pilate, this is the furthest they've ever gotten with the plan. This is the plan they've been working on for some time. And here it is at this moment that they've gotten all the way to this place. Now Pilate still thinks, man, you all are crazy. I've heard stories about Jesus. I know how popular he is. I know the size of the crowds that he's been having. I don't understand what got crossways here. But Pilate says, we have a tradition that during the Passover week, during this high religious holiday, we, we release somebody from prison. We grant amnesty to somebody. Probably somebody that's a very popular Jewish person that for some reason has gotten crossways with the Roman authorities. And, and so we just kind of, as a favor and as a statement of peace and of goodwill, we grant amnesty. As far as Pilate's concerned, Jesus fits that bill. Jesus is an incredibly popular person. So why don't we make Jesus the person who's released? You, you've, you've made your statement. You, you've done whatever you wanted to by arresting him, but now let's release him. And the religious leaders say, no, give us Barabbas instead. And the passage of Scripture tells us that Barabbas was a robber. Remember several chapters ago, there, there was the distinction between the thieves and the robbers, and we said the thieves are the people who will trick you and rob from you. But the robber is the person who walks up and punches you in the nose and steals your lunch money. Barabbas was a walk up and punch you in the nose kind of guy. And they said, we'll take Barabbas. We, we, we would prefer to have the violent criminal on the streets and you execute Jesus. This is the fifth time that they've talked about executing Jesus. But this time they have the motive and they have the means and they have the premeditation. But one of the other things that's different about this time is that in every other time, Jesus has slipped away. Jesus has just kind of stepped out of the way. A lot of times when the scripture describes it, he doesn't really give an explanation of how Jesus avoided it. The crowd wanted to do this. They were trying to arrest him and it just says they couldn't or he slipped away. Or, but if anyone has the ability to get away, it's Jesus. But we're going to see how Jesus handles this and how different that is. In fact, we're going to see in this moment, in the crosshairs of this moment, we're, we're going to see how several folks handle the pressure of life. In fact, I, I want to walk through several of them with you this morning. The first is I want you to notice Peter. When the Gospel of John is written, this chapter is written really with, with, with just a great deal of skill. The story almost, you know, like a, like a dramatic presentation goes from here's what's happening with Jesus, and then it cuts over here, here's what's happening with Peter, and then here's what's happening with Jesus, and it cuts back and forth, so we're, we're almost following two different things that are happening 
at the same time. But with Peter, what we find is that Peter approaches this whole experience with a commitment to self-preservation. Judas comes and delivers the soldiers to where Jesus is. He, he knew where Jesus hung out. He, he knew where Jesus would be in this moment. They come with torches. They, 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 they come with their weapons. And Jesus asks, who do you seek? He says, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, that's me. And there's a little bit of a kerfuffle that happens next, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But a second time, Jesus says, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, that's me. At this point in time, Jesus is in the process of surrendering. He says, if you're looking for me, let all of these other people go. If it's just me, if, if my name's the only one on the arrest warrant, let all the other people go. And I don't know why, but in this moment, Peter pulls out his sword. Now, he's talked tough. Peter said, man, I'm going to be with you no matter what. And here in this moment, when, P when Jesus is surrendering, Peter pulls out his sword, and I guess he flails at the closest person next to him, because he doesn't hit a soldier. He hits a servant of the high priest. We find out he, he chops off his ear. But Jesus, in, a, in another passage, takes that ear and heals him on the spot, which is kind of a fairly significant correction uh, to Peter in his life. But there was something in that pressure moment that Peter says, I'm going to use my weapon, I'm going to use my sword to protect myself and to protect Jesus, and I'm going to self-preserve. The really rest of the story about Peter is really takes us into that low point of Peter's life where Peter begins to deny that he knows Jesus. Once, twice, three different times, somebody walks up to Peter and says, I know you. I've seen you. You're one of those people that are with Jesus. You're, you're hanging out with Jesus. You're one of his guys. And once, twice, three times. Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. Now this is the first time that Peter hasn't introduced himself and handed somebody a business card that said, Simon Peter, Jesus, his closest disciple. Well, that, that's how he saw himself. That's how he wanted the disciples to see him. That's how he wanted everybody that met him. I'm with Jesus. Jesus can't hardly do anything without me. I'm Jesus' right-hand guy. But now, in this pressure moment, because of self-preservation, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, just, here for the, I'm just here for the campfire. I, 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 I don't know what you're doing. Now, I have a little bit of sympathy for Peter. He just cut some dude's ear off. There was an arresting party, and he started flailing his sword at that moment. And now he's someplace between the, the police department and the courthouse. You, you remember in the, in the Fugitive when Dr. Richard Kimball immediately escapes and, and turns himself in at the police department? No, that's not what happened. He's the fugitive. He's on the run. He doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to get seen. And so Peter, who's just, whop. I mean, I, I don't know. Now, 
there is inside of all of us a pull to self-preservation. There, there's a pull inside of all of us that says, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect myself and to make sure that I don't get exposed and that I don't get caught and I don't get, I'm going to do whatever it is. Sometimes we lie and sometimes we cheat and sometimes we hide and sometimes we run away. All of those things are from self-preservation. And sometimes our lives are driven by self-preservation. It's built inside of us. But here's the problem. We're not really good at self-preservation. Most of the time, when we try to self-preserve, we end up in a deeper hole than what we started with. If Peter would have left that sword in his scabbard, he wouldn't be hiding around the campfire. He wouldn't have had to say, I don't know anything about it. I'm just, I'm new in town. Could someone give me directions to the temple? I don't even know where anything is. Self-preservation. Now there's another group here that I want you to notice. And this is the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, their issue is self-deception. Now somebody once said that don't throw stones unless you're without sin. So I have to be careful here. But ooh, this bugs me. Someone asked this week, and you know, the question comes up every year, now why does Easter move every week, every year? Why, why isn't there uh, one date on the calendar that Easter lands on every time? It's because it's linked to the lunar calendar and it's linked to the lunar calendar because it's marked by Passover. Passover, the Jewish holiday of Passover, and Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday are always going to be linked together because the events that we're reading about happened the week of Passover. And Passover was a really big deal. It's one of the most important religious holidays for the Jewish people. And it would be one of those times in which they had to be ceremonial clean and not defiled in any way. And one of the ways you get defiled is because you're too close to something Gentile or something else that hasn't been clean. And so here are the religious leaders, tick-tock, tick-tock, Passover is about to come. They want to be undefiled. They want to be clean when Passover comes so that they can participate in all the Passover things that they, they plan to do. But they still got to deal with this thing with, with Jesus and they still got to deal with this thing with Pilate. And to do that, they've got to talk to Pilate about the fact that we need Pilate to sign a death warrant. But they can't go into Pilate's house. Because if they go into Pilate's house, they'll be unclean and they'll be defiled. So what they do is they say, Pilate, could you come out and talk to us on the porch? That way we can still have Passover. And the idea is, listen, if you come talk to us here, we can stay clean. If we walk in here, we're defiled. If we stay here, we're clean. And so I don't know how many feet that was. But by not going in, they're clean. Staying outside, they're undefiled. But one problem. They are standing on the porch conspiring to commit murder. But they still think because we're doing it on the porch, we're clean. We're undefiled. We, we, we can still 
participate in the Passover. Again, that kind of bugs me. The idea that, because we're doing it out here, we're good. What is it that you're doing out there? Oh yeah, you're conspiring to commit murder. But we're doing it in the right place. And the reason I, my heart needs to be careful is because, again, all of us have a pull towards self-deception. All of us have a pull that says, listen, if I will follow these rules, if I will make these commitments that I know that I can follow and I know that I can keep, if I can choose this handful of commitments, I will never do this, and I will never do this, and I will never do this, and I will always do this, and I will always do this, and I will always do this. If I can follow that handful of rules that, that's doable for me, maybe that'll cover up for all the other broken parts of my life. Maybe that'll cover up for the rebellious things inside of my heart. Maybe that'll cover up for sin in my life. Some of them are big. Some of them are recent. Some of them are old. Some of them are just constantly ongoing that you can't break. But we have this idea that if I will just follow this handful of rules, and I'll just never be the kind of person who does this or this or this or this, then, I, then I'll be fine. Understand, there is not a list of rules that you can keep that can cover up from the reality of our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion. But we keep wanting to say, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this and I don't do these three things, then I'm sure I'm going to be good. But that's exposed in this passage of Scripture. The, the one more thing that I, that I need you to see, and this is the obvious one, is I want you to see Jesus. And it's the opposite of self-preservation. It's the opposite of self-deception. Because what he provides is self-sacrifice. All those other times that there were attempts on his life, he slipped away. It wasn't the hour, it wasn't the time, it wasn't the moment. But he's been telling the disciples the hour is coming. The hour is here, the hour is upon us. And so when Judas and those soldiers come, and they say, we have an arrest warrant for Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, Jesus says, that's me. And he submits himself. He sacrifices himself. The kerfuffle that I talked about a few moments ago is that when Jesus says, this is me, the soldiers fell back and fell to the ground. Like, whoa, we're this close to Jesus? Jesus who has all of that power? Jesus who has all of that authority? Jesus who's done all of those miracles? Oh, we must be in danger to be this close to Jesus. And so by a reflex, they, they, they fall back. And so Jesus has to say again, now who is it you're trying to arrest? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, that's me. And he submits to them. 
All those other times he slipped away because the time wasn't right. But this time, he says, it's me. And he protects the rest of the people. He says, it's me. Now, why does Jesus sacrifice himself like this? The answer is in an unintentional prophet that's found in this passage. One of the religious leaders that Jesus is brought before in this passage is a man named Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a person of great influence who's kind of been pulling the levers for a little while. In fact, it was Caiaphas after the resurrection of Lazarus that says, Jesus has got to go. We're going to have to get rid of Jesus. We're going to have to kill Jesus. And Caiaphas says, clears his throat and gives his most wise statement and says, sometimes it's better for one man to die for the whole nation. Now, what Caiaphas was a little bit concerned about was he was concerned that the nation would be divided. He was concerned a little bit that people were going to be deceived, that the whole nation would be better off if Jesus were dead. It's better for one man to die for the benefit of the whole people. And in fact, when Caiaphas shows back up in John chapter 18, John says, this is Caiaphas. He's the guy that said one guy should die for the whole nation. This may be the only place that Caiaphas and Jesus agree because Jesus says, that's me. And it is better for one man to die for the whole nation. You see, Jesus came for the purpose of dying. Everyone expected Jesus to come for victory and, and to conquer and to do all of these things. Jesus came for what was happening in the darkness of that garden right now. And so when that moment came and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, that's me. And the whole rest of these chapters, Jesus will submit at every single moment to every bit of abuse, every bit of persecution all the way to death on the cross because it is true it is better for one man to die for all the people you and I are all the people and Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you because as much as there is a deception that says, if I will follow this list and I will do these things and I will avoid these things, it'll cover up all the other things that I've done. There's no truth in that. But when Jesus dies on that cross, he does cover up all of those things that you've ever done. He does remove your rebellion and your sin and your brokenness and so Jesus says yes it is better for one man to die than for all the people so how do we respond to this this morning just a couple of things that I'd encourage you to do one man I want you to walk in these days I want you to walk in these passages of scripture this morning we, we didn't even read the whole of the chapter Man, tomorrow morning, would you wake up and read John chapter 18? And just 
as we go into this holy week, this lead up into Resurrection Sunday, would, would you just make sure that your heart is reminded of this reality? Like I said, I know the story. I know that Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested and he's sentenced. But man, when I read it this week, man, it just hit me, the reality that these folks were saying out loud, Jesus must die. That's what he did in my life this week. When you read it, I don't know what he's going to do in your life. And then I would encourage you to be here Friday night for our Good Friday service. Because Friday night is when we're going to look at John chapter 19. The day Jesus dies. It happened. It was real. It was for us. And so I invite you to come and to walk that journey with us. Then, of course, be here for that number one unexpected thing next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. There's one other piece that I would just mention. Jesus laid down his life, released it, and turned it over. Now, he released it and turned it over to danger and to death. But do you know that you and I are called to do the same thing? To lay down our life, to submit our life, to relinquish our life? Not to danger and to death, but to Jesus. I say, Jesus, my life is yours. When he says, who are you looking for? And it's your name. You step forward and say, that's me. And I submit my life to you. And I want to live under your grace and under your authority. That's what it means to be a believer in Christ, to be a follower in Christ, is a person who has come to Jesus and laid down their life says it's not mine anymore it's yours and so if you've never done that and there's something about that that you heard and understood and if there's a pull on your heart to do that would you do that today I'll be down front I could pray with you I'll be at the back table in just a few moments but man I'd love to help you say yes to giving your life not to death and destruction glory of God and the fullness of the living Jesus inside of you. Let's pray together.